are God. You are our Father in heaven. And you give us the privilege of coming and saying those words, our Father in heaven, because you've made us your sons and your daughters by that amazing act of grace when you sent your son Jesus to come and die for us. So, Father, as we come before you as part of your family in this place, we just pray that for this next hour or so, you will be the totality of our thoughts, of our prayers, of our hearts and minds. Father, that we might be able to join together in that act of corporate worship and thanks for what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us and for that eternal hope which you've given us. We thank you, Father, for all of that. So be with us now, we pray. And for those who are yet to come through those doors, we pray your spirit will indeed be upon them also. Amen. In Acts 15, verses 1 to 5. First reading um, from Isaiah, it's headed, Israel's only saviour. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the only one of Israel, your saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Even I am the Lord, and apart from me there is no saviour. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. 
I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. And then moving on. Romans chapter 3, 21 to 26. headed righteousness through faith. For now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Right, and the final reading is Acts 15 verses 1 to 5. The council at Jerusalem. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. May the Lord bless this word. Amen. In January, I, I talked about faith and Abraham's faith being credited as righteousness. It said it in Genesis, it says it in Romans. Um, and I ended with a slide about um, somebody abseiling down a cliff. And I said, that's the true definition of belief. You can believe the harness is good. You can believe the rope's good. You can believe it's tied off properly. And you can have 
X number of people check it for you. But still, at one point, you've got to go over the edge and rely on it. Um, and that's when it comes to trust. So I want to move on from that because that was really about the depth of our belief, how much we believe, how fervently be we believe, how trusting we are. Today I want to look at more um, the width of it, what we believe, um, and what's essential to believe and what isn't. Uh, there's the old Apostles' Creed, um, which lists a whole lot of things. Um, and I, in fact, actually gave that. To, I was doing a workshop at a church. Um, can't remember where it was now, down in Kent somewhere. And I had two groups, and one of them was clearly struggling. And I said, what out of this is actually important? What, what does your faith rely on in the Apostles' Creed? And they said, well, actually, all of it. I said, well, it says, you know, that Jesus was um, taken by and crucified by Pontius Pilate, supposing it had been Julius Caesar. Um, and they said, oh, okay, um, we moved on. But there's lots of things that we accept, but are they all important? And I want to look at what is really, really important in our belief. For most of us, it will just be, a, hopefully, a timely reminder. Maybe something new here or there. Um, for somebody, maybe it's something totally new. In which case, please, see me afterwards. About nearly a year ago, our beloved Queen died. And I haven't really forgiven her for that yet. Um, but she did. Um, she was known as Defender of the Faith. And she was a defender of the faith. And her Christmas messages uh, for the last decade were getting more and more overtly Christian. And she went to meet her saviour. Charles wants faiths. Faiths, plural. And just having a faith, believing in a God, is not sufficient. 49% of the UK believe in some God or the other. Interestingly, that's less than most other countries. But there you go. Um, but we've got differences there, differences in religion. The six main religions in this country, and going back to Charles, his coronation um, day, there were four stamps issued. One of the first-class stamps shows six people a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Jew, and a Sikh. And in the background is a town, and you can pick out the, the church, the temple, the mosque, the synagogue. That was on our first-class stamp. So just being religious clearly doesn't cut it. But we say, yeah, okay, we understand that. We're talking just about the Christian faith. Okay, the Christian faith. Well... That is split, if that's the right word, into two parts. There's the Roman Catholic part on one side and the Protestant part on the other. But, you know, that's not the end of that either because in 2020 there was a survey and would you believe there are 21 different Roman Catholic denominations and 207 
Protestant denominations. Now, I can think of Baptist, Methodist, you know, URC, Anglican, um, Pentecostal. Uh, but there's another, another 202. But, you know, it's amazing. We've got so many differences. Um, you know, why is that? But even if you get to a, a single church, um, it's got its own doctrines and its own traditions, its own theology. Um, we're going to have a, a baptism uh, next uh, Saturday, one o'clock, in your diaries, don't forget. Um, but some churches, they don't do baptisms at all. Some do it by a little bit of sprinkling. Some do it by full immersion. Some are happy to do both. Um, some say if you've had one, you can't have the other. I mean, we, you know, where do you... Then you've got spiritual gifts. Some churches lap up spiritual gifts. Others espouse them completely. Um, and others say, well, as long as it's in keeping, um, there's all sorts of different theologies and traditions. Um, I've been to churches... Um, I, was, I was speaking at one down in Rochester, not the cathedral, I point out, um, but a much smaller church, and uh, it wasn't my style at all, but I, the, the, at the front, going into the place, was a guy with a big pole, and he walked down the aisle like this, and we all processed in behind him. Um, and the, the, the vicar, he had all his flowing white robes and his stole and all the rest of it, and during the service, when they did the reading, um, for it, not like Jeff coming up here, they took a Bible that was bigger than that one, and they took it down the aisle, and then the vicar came and kissed it, and I thought, goodness gracious me, um, this is strange. But, you know, the Spirit of God was on that place, it, it was something I was unfamiliar with, almost uncomfortable with at times. Um, it wasn't my tradition, my way of doing things. Yet God was in it, and God moved on that place, I'm, I'm pleased to say. Um, you know, it was, it was quite amazing. Um, but we have these different doctrines and traditions. And even when we get down to a personal level, we have our own... Um, views on things. Uh, God, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, how did he do it? Did he take 96 hours with his sleeves rolled up? Did he take four and a half billion years, starting off with a singularity? Or did he do something else in between? Tell you what, it doesn't matter. In the beginning, God created. How he did it is irrelevant. I expect most of us um, look at December 25th um, when we celebrate Christ's birthday uh, as being just a day, not the real day. But what do we think about, for example, Good Friday? Does it have to be a Friday? There's a lot of evidence it was actually probably a Wednesday. But it doesn't matter. Christ was crucified on a cross for your and my sins. And so there's lots of things, rapture, when God comes to take his, his church, is it going to be before the, millennium, uh, before the uh, tribulation, after the tribulation, or during the tribulation? Tell you, it doesn't matter. 
Well, it might matter when you get there, but it doesn't matter now. And we can argue about all these things. They're differences. We need to put away the differences. They might be an interesting little intellectual exercise now and then, um, but we need to not get hung up on them. What is the Christian faith? What is the essentials that we can all agree on and that are absolutely vital? The Apostles' Creed we, we know about um, came about in about the 5th century um, and was based on the Nicene Creed of about 380 AD. Um, but Paul and Silas in Acts 16 um, came up with a huge act of reductionism. And they said this, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. No conditions, no ifs, no buts. Jesus himself, when he was on the cross in his last hours, he turned to one of the, the thieves there with him. And he says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The guy there, in the last minutes of his life, had no way of going through all rites and courses and learning and getting baptized. or He was just told, today you will be with me in paradise. We can get caught up with all this other stuff and it's really annoying because it takes away from what really, really matters. And only two things matter. God and grace. God and grace. So, let's have a quick look at both of those um, concepts. Firstly, um, God is actually a person, not a concept. He's not an object or anything else like it. Mankind has always been religious. Um, like I said, that doesn't really help. Um, even Psalm 14.1 says, only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Societies have always had gods. Um, even dear old King Charles, he has his faiths um, for whatever. The Greeks, they had a multitude of gods from Apollo to Zeus. Um, the eight main ones, but they had an A to Z of gods. The Norse, the Mayans, the Aztecs, the Celts, who every civilization has had its gods. Um, back in the Egyptian days, they had um, 15 main gods and lots of others. Ra was the main one, um, was the sun god. Um, although, interestingly, for 18 years, they went monotheistic. Was that just after the Exodus? We don't know, but whatever. Then they went back to their multitude of gods again. Um, but God, our God, is not like that. He's not a sun or a star or something else. He's a person. When talking to Moses, he said, I am. I am. And as a person, he offers a relationship, not a set of regulations. A relationship, not rules. And a relationship is when you get to know somebody. 
Now, I happen to know, well, I think I know anyway, that Joe Biden is the current president of the United States. And I expect all of us here know that. But have any of us actually met him? Have any of us actually texted him or phoned him or WhatsApped him or whatever else you do these days? Probably not. And I'd probably say definitely not. We all know about him, but we don't actually know him. And that's the same with God. It's no good just knowing about God, the concept of God. It's actually about knowing God. So, moving on, God is a person. Well, this is where it gets even more complicated, because he's not one person, he's three people at the same time. Now, that is really difficult to get your heads around, so don't overthink it. Uh, that first reading that, that Jeff read to us, and thank you for that, was a bit of a, a, a torture going through some of that, but that was from um, Isaiah 43, and in those 12 verses, God said, uh, Lord says a number of things, but now this is what the Lord says. In those 12 verses, 26 times God refers to himself in the singular. I, the Lord, and various things like that. 26 times in 12 verses. And that runs right through the whole of the Bible. God refers to himself in the singular. Except, except on a few occasions when he says there are three people. Um, we know right at the beginning, when we get back to the creation bit again, let us make man in our own image. And um, uh, he, he also uh, says in, or it's also reported in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, um, about the baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's there are those three in one. Now, Judaism is a, a monotheistic uh, religion, a monotheistic faith. They had one God. They called him Jehovah, um, just meaning God, or El Shaddai, um, God Almighty, or in the New Testament sometimes, Adonai, my Lord, all singular. But that singular God also has three parts to him. Um, that is really difficult to understand. And I, I um, shared this with the 845 service a, a few weeks ago. In, in um, my bathroom, in the, the ensuite off of our, our bedroom, I have got a shower gel. Boom. My wife has got <laughs> bottles and potions of you would, and she's trumped by my daughter in another bathroom, uh, but that's another story. Uh, but amongst all these things, there is, would you believe it, a three-in-one shampoo. Uh, well, is it a shampoo or isn't it a shampoo? Um, according to the label, it's a shampoo, a conditioner, and a body wash. That's what it says, and I've still got to work out what a conditioner is. Um, so. You know, perhaps if somebody wants to tell me afterwards. 
but it's three things in one. And when you splash it on, it does your hair, or, or it conditions your hair, whatever that is, or it washes your body. Um, it's got three different functions, but it's only one liquid. It's three in one. Uh, mind you, my shower gel does that as well. I just... and <laughs> I, I can't understand the fuss, honestly, but there you go. Um, but it's three in one. And that's the same with God. He's three in one. Yes, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they are all one in a way we can't really fully understand. But don't worry about it. Uh, really don't worry about it. Don't try and overthink it. Just know that God is a person and that he's a Trinitarian person. We'll understand it when we get to heaven. Um, but more than that, um, he's got some powers. Now, um, we've, I'm sure the kids, I should have checked with them really, they've probably got superheroes and we know that um, you know, Spider-Man can go up walls and uh, Superman can fly and he's really strong and whatever. Uh, but they're superpowers. Um, God has got omni-powers. Omni means all. They're the ultimate. Not superpowers, not ultra-powers, but omni-powers. Omnipresent is one of them. And that means everywhere, all at once. Now, we're tied to a location. Uh, you know, we're sitting here. Uh, an hour or so ago, I left, left home, and, and I was there. But I'm not there now, I'm here. And hopefully, within the hour, I might be back there. But we're only in one place at a time. God is everywhere, and at all times. You know, we look at yesterday, today, and tomorrow, hopefully. Um, God is all of those places. That's why he says, I am. If he's everywhere and every when, there's no escaping him. Oh, Jonah found out about that, didn't he? When he tried to, to, to run off. But it's not just about that. It also means we can't get lost. We're never away from God. He's always there. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, say this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Wherever we go, up, down, sideways, um, wherever we are in time, yesterday, today, tomorrow, God is with us and his right hand will hold us. Isn't that amazing? Yes would be a good answer. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it is. He's always with us. And in fact, when he was born, um, we know one of the names attributed to him was Emmanuel, God with us, foreseen by Isaiah in chapter 7 and repeated in Matthew 1. So omnipresent, everywhere, at all times. No escaping, 
but no getting lost. God's always there with us. Omniscient is the second one. Omniscient. And that means all-knowing. In Psalm 139 again, it says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Well, yep, okay. We all come to church and we have our church face on. Or we go to work and we've got our work face on. Or we're facing the family and we've got our family face on. What's really happening inside us? In recent years, there have been a number of celebrity exposés, for want of a better word. Hugh Edwards, that pillar of the BBC, who's taken us through general elections, the death of the Queen, the coronation of the King, suffering from mental issues and in hospital. Philip Schofield, a scandal with him, Rolf Harris, that great entertainer with his six-inch paintbrush doing boop, 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 you know, do you remember those? Um, fantastic talent, yet behind it, something sinister. And Jimmy Savile, who fixed it for so many kids, but also was doing other things. They had a public face that we saw, but do we have a public face that we show? You know, when somebody comes in the door, you go up to them and you shake hands with them and you say, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm fine, thank you. And, you know, they've just lost their job. Um, uh, the wife's just crashed their car. The budgie's died. The neighbour's fence has fallen down on their prized Euro um, dahlias or whatever. You know, there's a whole raft of stuff gone wrong. Oh, I'm fine, thank you. It's how we act, isn't it? What's the real inside? The thing is, God knows. He's all-knowing. So he knows precisely how we feel. We're not deceived. We can't put on the face, the public face, for God. Because he's not looking there. He's looking there. And he's looking there. He sees inside us. And I, I was thinking about that, that poem, the footsteps poem. You know, we're going through life and we think, you know, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's a real struggle. And the footsteps, everyone heard of the footsteps poem about somebody walking along the beach, um, reflecting on their, their life, and they look back and see two steps of footprints and they're walking along with God. But at times, there's only one set of footprints and they realise those times are when they had real difficulties in their life. And they say to God in this dream they're having, God, why was it when I was in difficulty, you left me? And God says, of course, as we know, my child, those were the times when I carried you. And that's how God is. He knows how we are. He knows those tough times. And that's when he will carry us. And the last of the omnis, the omnipowers, omnipotent, all-powerful. It says in Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Well, that's great. The outcome is known. We're on the winning side. 
and we know that we're going to get to heaven. God can do anything. We accept that. But actually, can he do anything? Can he do anything? He is self-limiting. Um, he's physically, I mean, rea in reality, yes, he could by virtue of being God, but he's chosen to limit his powers. Just as we can get in our car and we can jump in, buckle ourselves in, and we go zooming down the road, get on the motorway, get it up to 90, 95, but perhaps we don't because we see a sign saying 70. We choose to limit ourselves to 70. We've got the power in the engine, the power in our right foot to make ourselves shoot forward, but we choose to obey a, a limitation. We choose to do it, and so God chooses to. There's no deceit, no immorality, and no sin, because God is holy. And that limitation he's put on himself, holiness, was the reason why God and man, as I showed in the kidney slot, weren't always together, that sin got in the way. And that is also the reason why when Jesus died on the cross, in his one of his last um, phrases, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Because God, the Father, high in heaven, looking down on his Son, had put my sins and your sins on him. And he couldn't look on sin because he's a holy God. And he had to turn away from his own son. And Jesus there, in agony, with our sins upon him, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's because God, although he's all-powerful, is also a holy God. So he's a, a triune person with ultimate powers, but he's also holy. So the second reading um, that we had there was from Romans. And it was all about grace. It's all about the gospel of grace. And grace is amazing, as John Newton would say. Amazing grace. As I said to the kids, it's the unmerited favor of God. We didn't deserve it. It's not ours by right. Far from it. But he said, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. That's in Titus. Heirs. Heirs of God. Part of his family. He's done something amazing by his grace to let us in. Let's step back a bit for a minute. Sin. The Bible says in that passage we read, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. Not a few of us, not most of us, but all of us. Every man, woman and child on this earth has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's no big sins and little sins, just as um, our 
women folk can't become just a little bit pregnant. They're either pregnant or they're not pregnant. If you put a drop of ink on a bit of paper, that whole paper is spoiled. It's no longer nice and clean sheet. It doesn't matter how big the spot is or where it is, it's spoilt the sheet. There's no big sins and little sins. And if we go on three chapters, in chapter 6 and 23, it says the wages of sin is death. And that's why Jesus had to come and die for us. In the Old Testament, from Adam and Abel onwards, there was a, a succession of bulls and goats and sheep and pigeons and you name it, um, whatever, that were brought to the altar and were slain and the blood was shed. And it, it, it only was a temporary fix and the priests had to come and do it because um, they were between man and God. They were the, the link. And they had to keep doing it and they had to keep slaughtering animals and spreading his blood. But it says in Hebrews, but when this priest, and that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the hand of God. So there were lots of priests and lots of sacrifices in the Old Testament, but it was only just delaying the issue. But 2,000 years ago, God dealt with the issue once and for all by his grace. And it says God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I've used this um, illustration before, but it bears repeating because it, shows, it showed to me as a 20-something-year-old um, the love of God. God spoke to me through it. And I was at a, a service one evening, and I was say in my 20s, so more than a decade ago, uh, and I was sitting on the end of an aisle, and across the aisle, um, in a, a strange wheelchair, was this young lad who was all twisted up and crippled. His head was held back with a strap because he had no muscle tone. Um, and his mum sat beside him. And at, at a certain point, there's this huge explosion, it sounded like. And I looked across the aisle, and there he is. And he's, he's covered in, in mucus and stuff. And it looked horrible. It really looked horrible. I mean, all being twisted up didn't look great to start with, but then covered in slime and stuff. And I looked away, and I, I looked back again for a minute, past him at his mother. And she turned, she had turned to her child. And I saw love that I'd never seen before in that woman. She didn't see all the schmuck. She didn't see all his crippledness and his inabilities. She saw her son. And that's what God saw in us. We were like that individual. We were in our sins. And we think, you know, what is that? We don't actually know what it is. We just know it's abhorrent to God. And we were covered in them. And God says, I can't deal with sin. I'm a holy God. But 
I'll make a plan. And I'll make that grace such that Jesus came down and died for us. Unconditional, undeserved love, sacrificial love. That was the love of God. So, in conclusion, we've travelled on a bit. I'm saying, don't worry about all the bits and pieces. Don't worry about all the differences, whether it's between each of us or between different denominations or whatever. There's so much more that we've got together that hold us together than all these other differences that would set to divide us. And there are only two things we need to remember. One is there is a holy God who is all-powerful and all-loving. And secondly, it was expressed in his grace when he sent Jesus down to die for us. So that's really what faith should be about. Not all this other stuff. It says Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Is our faith counted as righteousness? I hope so. Are we fully invested in God and grace and ignoring all the, the chatter underneath it? Or are we caught up in traditions and regulations? Hopefully not. We need to be in a relationship. Not regulations, but a relationship. And if you're not, or if it's not quite right, do something about it today, please. I'll be here after the service. I'll hang around here for a bit, and then I'll go and I'll be out in a cup of, having a cup of tea out the back. I'd love to talk to you about the love and grace of God over a cup of tea. Please, sort it out today. Amen. Let's just reflect on that. Thank you, Father, that you are a holy God, an all-powerful God, but a loving God. And we thank you for your grace, that undeserved gift of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you came down to this earth 2,000 years ago and took on us the filth of our sin so that we could be restored into a relationship with our Father again. Help us never to take any of this lightly and never get caught up in all the differences, but just remember that it is by grace that we are saved. Amen.